Please take out your Bibles and turn them to Genesis 16. That'll be our main text this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one sitting in the pew in front of you in the pew rack. We'd love for you to take it out and use it this morning. We are 14 weeks into our series in the book of Genesis, and I want to keep reminding us that we're in the Old Testament because we believe that the more you know the entirety of God's word, the more you will know him. And the more you'll know his heart, and the more you'll know his character, but the more you'll see his mercy. And the more you'll see his grace. Because all of that should lead us to the reality that this book, the Bible, while it contains stories about people, is not primarily about them. And it's not primarily about us. That it's first and foremost a book about the Lord God that informs us of who we are, but it does so in light of who he is. So to really understand us, we got to see him. we got to see who he is. And that enlighten us to who we are more and more and more. And so we're in the Old Testament that we might know more of his word Believing that the more we know and understand the Old Testament, the more it will shed light on the New Testament, which will lead us to know and understand the New Testament better all in all, leading us to a more full and complete understanding of Jesus. That's our aim. So thus far in the series in Genesis, we've worked through creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. These are subsections stolen from Max Anders' books, 30 Days to Understanding Your Bible, breaks it all up into sections. First four, creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel, helps us to see the first 11 chapters. Then we come to chapter 12, we enter another section, and we, we enter into the uh, fathers of the faith, the patriarchs, and we start into the book of Abraham. We're starting to the story of Abraham, because when you come to chapter 12, you see a shift. And it's no longer a book about the establishment of earth, the establishment of man, the establishment of culture. Now you see... In the middle of an established creation, the Lord God began to establish for himself a people, a chosen people. And he does so by calling a man named Abram. And so what we see in chapter 12 gets repeated in chapter 15 is that God makes an unconditional promise to Abram, a man who did not deserve anything, and yet God seeks him out to make a covenant with him, and in doing so promises Abram three things which could best be described as land, seed, and blessing. I will give you this land, the Lord God says. I will give you a tremendous family tree that is more numerous than the stars in the sky, and I will make you a blessing. This is all the background to Abraham, all things we got to know and see, because what we'll find as we continue in the story of Abram, and frankly the entire Old Testament, is that it's a picture of the faithfulness of God and the faithlessness of men. That's what we'll see over and over and over again. We brought this up last week. We'll bring it up again. So as we move through the Old Testament, we hear God identifying himself as I'm the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're not supposed to see these patriarchal, perfect people. But we're supposed to see a picture of these men who fell flat on their face outside of the mercy of God. God identifies himself with these people that God carried by his promises. It wasn't that they were good. It wasn't that they were perfect. It wasn't that they were right. It's that they trusted him. That's why he identifies with them. Because we see, even in Abraham, we saw it a couple weeks ago, fleeing to Egypt and trading off his wife for his protection, a picture of faithlessness, of not trusting his promises. 
And so this morning, as we open up Genesis, Genesis 16, I want to pause for a moment and give us a couple of quick clarifications. First, because Genesis 16 tells us the story of two women and the birth of Ishmael. And right out of the gate, I want to just acknowledge that we're not here because it's Mother's Day. I wasn't just looking for a text about women. I wasn't looking for a text about women wanting to become moms. I wasn't looking for a text about women longing for motherhood. Admittedly, you could point to some of these things in the text. And if you did, if you made this text about that, you'd miss the whole point of the text. So don't expect me to point that direction this morning. (laughs) For if we were going for that, we would skip Genesis 16. You'll see that soon enough. We're in Genesis 16 this morning because when I outlined teaching through the book of Genesis, it just fell to this week. It was the next passage in line, much as the Lord's covenant in Abram led us to communion last week and the promise of God fell on Easter Sunday. It's just kind of worked out this way. Somebody thanked me that we're not preaching circumcision. That'll be next week. Which leads us to a second thought, an important thought for us at least to acknowledge There's no such thing as a woman's text in the scripture, which is to say that two weeks ago when we saw Abram fall flat on his face and said, that's not a men's text. That's not men fall short. That's we all fall short. So this morning when we see Sarah struggle, we need to know this isn't a picture of women struggling, therefore women struggle. This is a picture of women struggling. We all struggle. So we don't get to separate out men do this, women do that. It's a picture of humanity and we need to lean into all of it. And I don't know if you've had that thought don't know if it came across your mind, but if you did, I wanted to address it. So finally, let's go to Genesis 16 for two takes on trust. Genesis 16. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Out of the gates, the first part of verse 1 serves as one purpose. And what it does for us is it starts to stand in contrast to the promise You remember, the Lord God had promised Abram and Sarah, I will give you kids. I will give you so many kids, they'll outnumber the sand. It'll outnumber the stars in the sky. You will have an heir, and yet they have no children. God says, I have a promise for you, but it's not been fulfilled yet. So you start to deal with this tension. What do we do when we have to wait on God? What do we do when we think God's revealed this to us? We're supposed to walk into this, and yet nothing's happened. That's the position we find Sarah in. So the text digs us into her situation. It goes on to say, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And what we find in these first two verses is the situation. God made the promise. His promise hasn't come to fruition. Therefore, Sarah starts to believe, I must help God. I need to get involved here. I need to start making God's promises happen. And you should know that culturally, in Abram's time, it was very much the responsibility of the woman to provide children to her husband. That's what you start to see culturally in this text. So in this case, if she could not give her husband children, it was her job then to find a, a concubine or a maid and provide her an heir. So I get, 
In 2019, reading this, this seems like the strangest, craziest thing ever. And who would ever preach this on Mother's Day? And yet we need to see that in this culture, it was a common practice. So much so that in Genesis chapter 30, we'll see Jacob and Rachel trying the exact same plan. And it works just as disastrously for them as it works here. So let's see what happens. Verse 3. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. What you find when you lean into the text is Sarah is in a tough position. She's in an uncomfortable position. She's in a shameful position. And if we're honest, they're not words to describe her pain. She longs for a child. She longs to give her husband a child. And the Lord God has promised her that she'll be given a child. So what's she supposed to do? Well, she comes up with a plan. And it seems to be that Sarah doesn't trust God's plan and wants to make her own. She takes the situation into her own hand and no doubt she thought she was doing the right thing. Because what she does is she leans into a a culturally accepted practice. Hey, we have a problem, but this is what everybody else do. Let's, Let's fix it. Let's resolve this situation. And yet if you lean into the text, you should see that she's clearly not trusting the Lord. How do you see that? It's always a good indicator when you're studying, particularly in the Old Testament, And you're reading through passages of Scripture to note who the main characters are. And when you come to a passage where God is not a character in that story, where he is not speaking, he's not being sought after, he's not the one leading, the men are tending to go their own way. And that's exactly what we find here in these first several verses. We find God has given them a promise, and Sarah's working to figure it out. We'll see that work the other way in the back end of this passage. We need to be careful because there's a warning in that, isn't there? And part of the warning to us should be that if our relationship with the Lord isn't very solid, if we aren't letting God speak into our lives in a regular way, if we're not spending time in his word, then we need to at least be aware that our discernment, in fact, our wisdom and our decision-making are likely to be off. Consider for a moment Romans 12.2, which we've been discussing in our men's contender studies on Friday mornings. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Consider what Paul is saying. Do not be conformed to this world. He's actually putting before you this reality that left unchecked, we will, by our nature, become more and more and more like the world. That we'll just fall in line. Oh, that's a culturally acceptable practice? Good, I'm in. Oh, we can do that too? I'm in. Okay, let's go with it. And what Paul is pushing back on is don't fall in line. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't follow its patterns. Don't morph into something like it. Rather, in opposition to that, contrasting, Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul says, be changed. But listen to me. 
It's a passive verb. And what that means is you cannot change yourself. It happens to you. Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, you can take a part in the renewing of your mind. You can take a part in dwelling in his word and allowing his word to dwell in your thoughts. You can take part in allowing his word to wash over your thoughts, to allow his word to renew your mind. It's like the idea of gardening. I cannot make a carrot grow, but I can sure create the right conditions. I can create the soil and make check my pH levels and all sorts of stuff I don't understand. And I can put a seed in it, make sure it gets enough sun, and I can water it regularly, and I can weed it. And if I said something that doesn't make sense, it's because I don't understand farming or gardening. And to be honest, we've never successfully grown a carrot in my backyard. Tomatoes we're good at. Carrots haven't figured out yet. What happens when we renew our minds... When we allow God to speak to us, is it begins to change us. And the end of Romans 12 points to us, because as we're renewed, it leads to our transformation. And as we're transformed, it gives us, wait for it, discernment. It gives us wisdom. It gives us understanding as to the will of God. And that's what brings us back to Genesis 16. It will help you trust the Lord. Friends, if you are afflicted, if you are in pain, if you are struggling, if you are waiting on God, let me give you this encouragement. Do not make up your own solution. Don't try to take it in your own hands and your own abilities. Rather, cry out to God. Seek after him. Psalm ten seventeen says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their hearts. You will incline your ear. And friends, that's a promise. And Sarah had a promise just like this. A promise she didn't trust and sought to work out her own plan. And what we need to see and understand is God calls us to seek after him. To know him. So let's see the fruit of not trusting the Lord. Watch verse 4. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Now, if you want to lean into that text, these people need all kinds of marriage counseling. Right? There's all kinds of blame shifting. There's all kinds of terrible negative things going on. But if you follow the text, you'll find that when Sarah has her way, when her plan goes forward, all it does is give her contempt. It gives her hatred for Hagar. That her sin of distrust, rather than solving her problem, actually led on to more sin. And what we start to see is it starts driving a wedge in all of her relationships. Look at verse 5. Sarah, now to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Now, Abram's probably going, listen, this was your idea. 
You brought this plan to me. The fruit of Sarah's distrust in the Lord didn't fly alone. It manifested itself in even further sin. She blamed others and she took her pain out on them. Such that by the end of verse 6, a pregnant Hagar flees from the Lord. Which brings us to our second tale of trust. Because now the text turns us to Hagar, the maid of Sarah, who's now pregnant with Abram's child. And much like Sarah, she too now is in a tough, uncomfortable, shame-filled position, a place she did not choose for herself. She's been abused, and now she's been run off. And yet her situation is different. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. Remember, Sarah was living under the promises given to her and Abram. God had been faithful to her. And now we're talking about Hagar, an Egyptian a foreign slave girl, someone that most people wouldn't even notice. And what's striking is the Lord does. The Lord does notice her. He sees her and he even sees her in her pain and he pursues after her. It's a great truth of the mercy of God and of his character to see us in our distress and to seek to meet us. He pursues her, verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. Don't miss that. We often want to paint this picture of God as just being the God of easy, cheesy comfort. The God who shows up to put that um, primer that covers everything on every situation and just solve it quickly. We want to imagine that God steps into every situation like that and bam. We don't like pain. We don't like discomfort. And in fact, often our prayers in pain and discomfort is God take this away immediately. Like that's our answer. And God, to her pain, does not say, Solved, you now live in the Caribbean with a great husband who will love you forever. God actually calls her into it. Return to your mistress and submit to her. What you see the Lord God do here is he calls her to believe. This is like God calling Abram, except he's speaking here to Hagar. He tells her something that's impossible, right? Go home. Go back to your hard situation. Go back to your pain. Go back and submit to the one who abused you. And the more you lean into that, the more we don't like it, right? Because we don't want to think God calls us into difficult things. We don't want to believe that God could actually call us to endure hardship, pain, and agony. And yet what God is saying here to Hagar is, trust me. Believe me. I have something better for you than what you're choosing. And it's me. Listen to what he says next. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring 
so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, which, by the way, means God hears. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. The last part's quite a promise. Every mom longs to hear. But what you see is Hagar trusts the Lord. She leans in and listen to her response in verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I've seen him who looks after me. Hagar was moved by God that saw her, that knew the situation she was in, that knew the pain she had, a God that would look after her. And that's the fruit of belief. That's the fruit of trust. Not that it all gets resolved, not that it all gets eased, but the knowledge that God's with you. That he sees what you're going through. That he's looking after you. He's taking care of you. And this story ends with Hagar giving birth to a son and naming him Ishmael. And friends, the end of this story, the end of this message is not, don't be like Sarah, be like Hagar. No, the end of this message is God and God alone is faithful. It's God who is faithful to Abram and Sarah and taking them to Egypt and bringing them back. It was God who was faithful to them despite their faithlessness. In fact, if you want to watch one of the grand narratives that we'll see, start to pick up on the fact that starting in Genesis 12, gets reevaluated in 15, 17, 19, 24. God says to Abram, I will make you a blessing. I'm going to make you a blessing to the whole earth. And you you start to see that God has a plan to produce Jesus out of his line. And nothing Abram could do could distract that. And Abram gives way to Isaac, who can't blow it no matter how hard he tries. Who gives way to Jacob, who tries even harder to blow it. And still can't blow God's plan. Because God and God alone remains absolutely faithful through the whole text. Even despite our misgivings, even when we fall flat on our faces, even when we try to take control and veer the ship, the Lord always seems to bring them back into the fold. Which is to say, friends, I know not the challenges and the struggles in your heart this morning to trust the Lord. I do not know the situations that you are waiting on him to move on. And I do not know how long you have waited. But I know somebody who does. See, the great truth of John 5, when there's a man waiting at the pool of Bethesda in pain and agony, tells you he'd waited there for like 30 years. Jesus walks up and knows his whole story. Right? It's Jesus. Jesus knows exactly where we're at. He knows what we're going through. And he's got a better plan. He's got something more for us. I want to encourage us with a couple of things, starting in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We need to be reminded that we don't see from his perspective. It's Tim Keller who talks about that God's will for my life would be my will for my life if I could see what he sees in my life. But I can't. So I live close to the ground, only seeing what's in front of me, and I'd make all kinds of poor decisions outside of his assistance. But God's ways are not my ways. God's got a different plan for me. I don't know his perspective, but I know who he is, and I know that he's good. 2 Corinthians 1 reminds us, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, pointing to Jesus. All of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. He continues to say, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen amen to God for his glory. That all of our hopes, all of our pain, all of our struggles, all of our challenges, it doesn't matter what they are today. What matters is that they will be fulfilled, they will be met, they will be answered, they will be resolved in Jesus. And it may not be today. And it may not be tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, this decade, like this century. It's a funny reality to pastor a church because you've got to sit with people sometimes who are struggling and suffering. And here's the fact. God will heal you. It may not be in this life. But he'll heal you. He'll heal you completely in a way that will baffle all of us. Whatever our pain is, he'll heal. And some of us will carry it for a long, long, long time. I'm reminded that today is Mother's Day. If you know my story, it's my least favorite holiday. Lost my mom in 1994. I got pain. I struggle. It's always been a struggle for me. I've prayed over it like, God, take this pain away. It hadn't. It's still there. And yet I know God is faithful. So I turn to Jesus with that. It's interesting. We like to talk about the promises of God, finding their yes in him. But often it's more encouraging as the next two verses. In 2 Corinthians 1, listen to these. For it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put a seal on us and has given his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You want to know how Jesus is going to answer all of your your problems? You want to know how he's going to answer all your struggles? You want to know how he's going to be answered all of them? It's Christ who's established you. Your ground might feel shaky, but you've been established with Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in him, if you've believed in him, you've been established. He's a firm foundation. You might feel alone. You might feel abandoned, but you need to know you've been anointed. God's got his thumb on you. He's got a plan for you. He's put a seal on you. He's given you his Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You've been given the great comforter. 
Friends, we're to take encouragement. We're to take heart in this. Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. We gather together as a body of people who are not perfect. We gather together as a body of people who all struggle with sin, and if you don't say amen, you're lying. We gather together as a group of people who are struggling through all sorts of facets of our lives. And friends, we gather together as a group of people who profess Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the answer to all of our problems. And they will be worked out. They will be completed at the day of Jesus Christ. They will be completed when we stand before him face to face. And that's our great hope. I don't know what God's calling you to trust in this morning. But trust in Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Trust in Jesus, because all of the promises of God are answered in him. Trust in Jesus, because he's at work to bring you to completion and his return. Let me pray for us. Father, life is hard and it's wounding. And I know not all the woundings of this room. I know Mother's Day can bring its own set of issues with loss and hurt and pain and miscarriages and abortions and adoptions and 10,000 other things. I know there are people here who hurt and miss people badly. They miss kids and they miss moms and they miss all sorts of things. So, Father, I pray just over those situations, Father, that you'd be near. That you'd spread your peace over all of us. Father, you'd walk with us in our pain. And, Father, I know that there are all kinds of health situations in this room, Father, that seem hopeless that seem dire, and yet all of them will be resolved by you. For this life lasts for just a short period of time, and the next one will last millennia after millennia after millennia after millennia after millennia after millennia. Father, you are an eternal God, and you'll save us for an eternity. Remind us that the challenges, the struggles of this present day will not compare to the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus. Allow us to trust more and more and more in your Son. Call us into your word that we'd be renewed daily, renewed to a trust, to see story after story of your faithfulness, despite our faithlessness, to know that you're the faithful one, to know that you're sufficient, know that you're good and loving and kind. Thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.